0: Father, we thank you once again for the privilege to come to your word. And we remember, Lord, we know, Lord, that nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for you, and you are a God who is great in mercy and loving kindness. And so we pray that in your mercy, in your loving kindness, you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to understand your word today, and to not just understand it, but to obey it, to do it for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, according to um, some recent surveys... There are a couple issues that really divide Christians. We all agree that you know there are certain areas that we don't completely see eye to eye on, but some of them are bigger than others. But there are two main ones that really separate Christians. The first is how active God is in the world. The question is, uh, is God personal? Is he impersonal? Is he Distant or is he near? And Christians are split right down the middle on this. Self-professing Christians are split right down the middle on this issue. The second issue is the extent of God's judgment upon evildoers. The question is, does or would a loving God judge and condemn sin? Would he take a stand against sin and condemn it? And some would say, yeah, he does. And others would say, no, God is, God is love. And love is, is always going to be forgiving. Love is always going to be only kind and helpful to people in need. And the truth is that this is an incomplete view of God, where there's mercy but no justice. The truth is, most people want a God who's more like Mr. Rogers or Santa Claus than the God of the Bible, who will be a righteous judge. But a God who does not judge sin is a God who is not holy and is not righteous. That is not the God of the Bible. As R.C. Sproul says, a God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, no sovereignty, No justice, no holiness, and no wrath is an idol. That is a false God. That is a false idea of who God is. So our lesson today comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 to 24, and it's titled, Paradise Lost from Punishment to Providence. And what we'll see today is that, yes, God must judge and condemn sin, and yet he offers salvation from sin's ultimate consequences. See, in God's kingdom, faith is the key that opens the door to forgiveness. And repentance leads to restoration. And we've seen in our study of Genesis that God created everything good, everything very good, in all of creation. It was all created perfectly. And yet, sin entered in Through temptation, as Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan, coming as a serpent, tempted to disobey God with the promise that by doing so, they would become like God themselves. And upon sinning, upon falling for this temptation, Adam and Eve instantly died, just like God had promised, but they died in a spiritual sense, not in a physical sense, in the sense that they were cut off immediately, right as soon as they sinned, they were cut off from the source of life, God Himself. And in their state of spiritual death, their senses became corrupted. What we saw is they saw their nakedness and they felt ashamed. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking near, and they felt fear. And in the probably the the most unwise move they ever made, they tried to hide from God. They tried to hide in the darkness of the garden from God. Their senses were fallen. Their intellect was fallen. But there was more than just one sin committed here in Genesis chapter 3. What we see is a landslide of sin, an avalanche of sin. Martin Luther said, The sin underneath all our sins is the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and that we must take matters into our own hands. End quote. And isn't that exactly what Adam and Eve did as soon as they sinned? They tried to take matters into their own hands. We're tempted to do the same thing, aren't we? we tempted to do the same thing. They took matters into their own hands rather than trusting matters in the hands of God. And when given a chance to own up to and to confess their sin, both Adam and his wife continued to just deny. They tried to play the blame game. Adam trying to blame his wife and God and his wife trying to blame the serpent They both refused to confess their sin. And thus, God pronounced punishments upon the serpent, upon Eve, and upon Adam. Genesis 3 gives us a full picture of God. It gives us a full, a complete picture of God. We've seen his omniscience, his his all-knowingness. We've seen his justice, the fact that he takes sin very seriously. We've seen his holiness, which is tied to his justice. We've seen his all-powerfulness, We've not only seen, uh, we've also seen his mercy. He didn't strike Adam and Eve dead on the spot as soon as they sinned, even though that's what they deserved. And he promised to send an offspring who would crush the head of the serpent. You understand the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. So they're, they're very similar, but they are different. So we've seen his mercy. He gave Adam and Eve the just punishment for their sin, and yet elements of his mercy and his grace could be found sprinkled into their judgments. And yet this is still not a complete view of God because while we've seen his mercy, he hasn't given them what they deserved, death, physical death, we have yet to see his incredible grace toward the sinner who places faith in his promises. So we ended our study time last week by seeing that Adam's response to the just punishment of God was to believe God's promise that there was an offspring who was coming who would crush the head of the serpent, right? We read in verse 20, if you remember, this this is kind of what we ended with last week. Uh, it's really a verse that serves as a hinge between the passage that we saw last week and the passage that we're gonna look at this week. It's a hinge between punishment and providence. Verse 20 says this, Genesis chapter three, verse 20. It says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And what we saw is that this was not an act of spite or defiance on Adam's part. This was an act of faith. Adam believed God's promise. God's promise to send this offspring. And that's evidenced by the fact that he named his wife Living. He trusts that life is going to continue, at least in a physical sense. This is faith. Faith is always accompanied by action. Faith is always accompanied by action. It's not something that we can just keep to ourselves as if we can just partition our lives like you partition a hard drive or something. Faith affects our lives. Faith affects our choices, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our deeds. There is no such thing as a legitimate faith that you can quarantine into some little corner of your life and keep it separate from everything else. That's a figment of a fallen imagination. That is not biblical faith adam's actions the fact that he gives his wife this name indicate that he had faith in god's promise it's very important that we see this because we must understand that faith is what opens the door to forgiveness and repentance opens the door to restoration hebrews 11:6 says that without faith it is impossible to please god it is impossible to please god it's not just really difficult to please God without faith. It's not pretty unlikely, but but doable if you do the right things. No, it is impossible. In fact, you've got a better chance of individually counting every individual grain of sand on the earth in less than an hour than you do of pleasing God without faith. Genuine faith is an obedient, acting faith. A disobedient faith is not faith at all. And that's not to say that we don't sin. We do sin, but we confess. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for direction. James said it this way, faith without works is dead. What does that mean? It means true faith is obedient. True faith acts. A stagnant faith is not faith at all. Genuine faith, biblical faith, is an obedient faith, and that's what Adam has shown here. Grace, grace does not nullify the need for obedience unto God. Yes, there is more grace in God than we could ever possibly use, but it doesn't nullify the need for obedience unto God. God rewards faith with forgiveness. God rewards our remorse and our repentance with restoration. God rewards our penitence with provision. And while God must judge and condemn sin because he is a righteous and a holy God, he offers salvation from sin's ultimate consequences. And that's exactly what we see as we continue. Look at verse 21 with me. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, And clothed them. The shame, the shame that Adam and Eve felt for their nakedness was a physical sense. It was a physical nakedness that they felt ashamed of. But it went. Deeper than that. It went a lot further than that. It also reached into the depths of their souls, where sin had caused them to stand naked and ashamed before a holy and righteous God who takes sin a lot more seriously than they did. This verse shows us God's amazing provision for their physical needs, but it goes beyond the physical to something much deeper than just a surface-level type of covering. Up until this point, Adam and Eve had attempted to cover their nakedness with fig leaves, if you remember, which is just kind of a pathetic attempt to cover uh, their sense of shame. And I don't know a whole lot about fig leaves. I've, I've never held a fig leaf in my hand, so I can't say that you know that, that happens to be the most uncomfortable uh, leaf of, of all creation, or or it happens to be the most comfortable, or anything like that. I don't know much about them, but I, I do. Th- think it's safe to say that we all know a little bit about, uh, about fig leaves. We know that they're, they're bound to wither. We know that they are not just going to stay soft if they are soft indefinitely. And we know that when they do wither, they're going to cause some pretty serious discomfort, maybe some problems. We know that no leaves are going to offer sufficient protection against cold weather. You know, you can't cover yourself with leaves and expect to be warm when it's, you know, 30 degrees outside. So these things, this is a picture of man's total inability to cover himself. That's what the fig leaves represent. Man's total inability to provide a covering for himself. Between the judgment of God that we saw in verses 14 to 19, and this verse, in which God provides adequate clothing for Adam and his wife, We caught a glimpse of Adam's faith in God's promise. God responded to this faith here by showing Adam the reality of sin's consequences and at the same time providing for Adam's needs. And it seems likely that God probably slayed some animal, maybe a lamb, right there in front of Adam and Eve. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We don't know exactly, but either way, the first sacrifice in all of human history was performed by God himself for the sake of providence, for the sake of covering man with something sufficient, for the sake of covering man with something that was adequate for his needs. See, we live in a culture in which life is often perceived as cheap and meaningless and disposable. I mean, the fact that Planned Parenthood exists is plenty of proof about that. And in which death is, is common for us. We see death in the headlines all the time. We, we probably all know somebody who has died, and it's so common that it no longer shocks us the way that it probably should. But see, for Adam, he, he hadn't seen death before. Adam had no concept, no category in his mind for death. And so for Adam, and for Eve too, I'm sure, he could see right in front of him, I'm sure, more clearly than we can that death, death is a horrible, horrible thing. And yet, it is a necessary consequence for sin. A few verses later, when we get to chapter 4, what we're going to see is that uh, animal sacrifice quickly becomes just a regular part of worship. It's a reminder that the wage of sin is death. And the truth is that while the sacrifice of an animal can provide a physical cover for Adam, only God can provide a cover for his sin. And this sacrifice and this covering couldn't undo what had already been done. It couldn't reverse the effects of the fall. By itself... It could not free Adam nor Eve from the bondage to sin that resulted from the fall. This covering couldn't cover that part. And the idea here is that we need to be covered with something that's better than the very best that you and I can do. We need to be covered with something better, something deeper. As Isaiah would say in our fallen condition, the best that we can do before God is bring dirty rags. Filthy rags. To the king of the universe, filthy rags. Since the best that we can do isn't enough to cover our sin and to cover our shame, we're left with only one option. Two options. One is denial. The second option is to look to God for a covering that he alone can, out of sheer grace, provide. The only other option is to be in denial and to think that our best efforts, our greatest works are sufficient. But they're not. And while God owes Adam and Eve absolutely nothing here, this is just an act of incredible, incredible mercy, incredible compassion on his part. He had no obligation to do this. He never promised that if they did sin, he would do this for them. He had no obligation to them. He would have been perfectly just if he had done absolutely nothing to protect or provide for Adam and Eve. He would have been perfectly just to have just wiped them off the face of the earth. But God takes the sovereign initiative here of providing Adam and Eve with garments, with a covering. Why did he do that? Now it would be easy for us to say that well it's because he knows that fig leaves are going to wither they're going to cause skin problems when they do uh, maybe they would have an allergy to them who knows uh, you know they won't be warm out in the climate you know when it gets cold but ultimately he's giving us a picture he's giving us an illustration this is ultimately a picture of him covering the source of their nakedness of their shame if it's true that they've demonstrated faith, and I think that it is, then they're repentant at this point. And there's no need for them to wrestle with guilt and shame any longer. Because true saving faith is a repentant faith. How many of you know Romans chapter 8, verse 1 by heart? Anybody know that one by heart? That is such a great verse. You need to know that verse. I call it a cancer verse. And the reason I call it a cancer verse is because one day something bad is going to happen to me. A doctor is going to give me some really bad news. And you're probably going to have the same situation. You're probably going to go to a doctor one day and he's going to give you really bad news. And the truth is you need to have something to anchor you to your faith. Faith. And Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is a great one. So I would strongly, strongly encourage you to memorize Romans 8, 1. The truth is that we need verses like Romans 8, 1 to serve as an anchor for us whenever we struggle with doubt, whenever we struggle with sin and shame. And you're wondering, well, what does it say? Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when I get the bad diagnosis from the doctor, it's not because God is against me. It's not because God has turned on me, that his allegiance is somewhere else and he's abandoned me. No. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have preached this verse to myself so many times. And I would love it if you would do the same, have the ability to do the same. Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. And he would love for you to feel a sense of unresolved, unresolvable guilt and shame for your sin before God. Because he knows that it's going to serve a very specific purpose. Guilt and shame drive a wedge, a relational wedge between us and God. It'll happen this, it, the same thing happens between one person and another person. Somebody feels like, man, I, I've done something so wrong to this guy and he knows it. I, I can never, I can never be in good standing with him again. And Satan knows that that's how it works. It keeps us at a distance from God if we have unresolved guilt and shame. If we feel like our sin and shame is Unresolvable. By giving them a sufficient covering, God is telling them that he doesn't want them to feel shame for their sin any longer. He doesn't want there to be that relational wedge that comes between him and his people. Like Adam, friends, our sin and our shame cannot be covered by our own best efforts. God is providing physical protection for them as a picture of a spiritual protection physical covering is a picture of spiritual covering for Adam Adam and Eve it's a, it's foreshadowing it's an illustration of the need for God to provide a covering for our sin that is sufficient it's a glimpse of our need for sacrifice on our behalf he doesn't slay adam he slays an animal and of course he would provide ultimately the perfect sacrifice on Calvary. While God must judge and condemn sin, He offers salvation from sin's ultimate consequences. The Father would send the Son into the world to be that ultimate sacrifice. The Son would bear the sins of His people and it would please the Father to crush the Son for the sake of sparing those whom the Son would redeem. Paul would write to the Corinthian church of the Father's work of redemption through Christ, saying, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ, and Christ alone, was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for our covering. And the righteousness of Christ would be the perfect, all-sufficient covering that God would provide for His people. As the hymn goes, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Faith is what opens the door to forgiveness. Repentance leads to restoration. And God rewards our penitence with provision. Salvation is found By trusting in God's promised Savior. Taking God at his word, even though it might not make sense to you in the moment, you just trust him. You believe him. And you believe this promise that salvation is provided through his sovereign provision of an acceptable sacrifice and an acceptable covering. And that is Christ. Christ is our acceptable covering whichever animal this was that was slain, I think we can all agree that the animal did no wrong, right? The glimpse here, the picture here is of the fact that a sinless and perfectly innocent substitute is what is necessary to cover us. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that truth. Friends, our deepest need is not for entertainment. Our deepest need is not for peace with nations. Our deepest need is not for a balanced economy. Our deepest need is for a covering. Not a physical covering, although that's good too, especially in the winter, but one that reaches into the depths of your very soul. Something that takes away the guilt And the shame that your sin has caused. The question we have to ask ourselves is this What will we stand covered in before God? What will we stand covered in before God? What covers your guilt and your shame before God when you'll stand in front of Him one day or today? What covers your guilt and shame? fig leaves or Christ's righteousness. Because only one cover is sufficient, and that is the righteousness of Christ himself. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. That's that's Isaiah rejoicing over the fact that God has given him a sufficient covering. It's a song of deep and joyful praise and rejoicing. And for those who have placed saving faith in Christ, this is our song too. This is our song too. God provided the righteousness that was necessary to cover our sin and our shame so that we can stand before Him in glory, faultless, dressed in Christ's righteousness. This is something that only God could do. Hallelujah. What what a Savior.